By now, you've already guessed that our theme this morning is God with us. And it's a vital theme in Matthew's gospel. In fact, in the beginning, as we read, it starts out that way. Emmanuel, God with us. In the middle of the book, in chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus says, Where two or more are gathered together, there I am with you in the midst. And the book ends that way. The very last words of Jesus before he ascends back into heaven is, Lo, I am with you always. See, Matthew's gospel is about a life-changing truth that I want to share with you this morning, and that is God, Emmanuel, is with us. And it's vital, and it's important, and I want you to grasp the meaning because it's only mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. In fact, Emmanuel is only said in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14, and chapter 8 and verse 8. That's the only place in the Old Testament's mentioned. And the only singular scripture in the entire New Testament that quotes that verse and says, Emmanuel, God with us, is the one in our text. It's the only one. It is like a huge spotlight from heaven at Christmas pointing out the fact of its meaning and its importance that the incredible incarnation of Jesus Christ coming into this world is God's plan to change everything. The Wesleys, if you know who they are, John and Charles Wesley were the founders of Methodism back in the 1700s. Men of God... They knew the importance and the meaning of the Incarnation. John Wesley himself, when he was dying in London, his house is still there. When I lived there, I had a chance to go through it. And the very room that he died in and the bed that he died in is still there. And on his dying deathbed, the last words to come out of his mouth were this. The best of all of this, meaning life, is God with us. The last words he ever said. His brother, Charles Wesley, who was famous for the myriad of songs that he composed, including many of them that are in our hymnal, he put it in this way, in poetic form. Our God contracted to a span the incomprehensible made man. That's Christmas. That's Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the incarnation is all about. Christmas is all about getting near God. I don't know if you've ever been close to someone who was famous or well-known. When I was 12 years old, we were on a vacation in Acapulco, of all places, and I was in the drugstore in the bottom lobby of the hotel that we were staying in, and I walked in, and I looked, and I looked again, and I go, no. I was a basketball fan. It was Dr. J. Julius Irving, you know, doctor of dunk, if that helps you at all, know who he was. But I always thought he was the greatest basketball player of his time. So I stood next to him. He was checking out, getting a soda. And I had some stuff. I don't even remember what I was getting. And I knew this in my mind. I have to get his autograph. I have to. But I was staying there the whole time. But I snapped out of it. No, I didn't snap out of it. I never said a word to him. I never shook his hand. I never said anything. I just stared at him until he walked away. It was sad. But I had another chance. Later on, when I went to the Royal Tournament, my dad got Chris and I tickets in London. It's the biggest thing, one of the biggest things they do in the royalty are there. And my dad didn't tell me, but Queen Elizabeth, who recently passed away, she was there that night. 
And not only was she there, but she had to walk down the stairs to where she was sitting. And she had to walk right, literally, I'm not lying to you. I'm sitting here and she walked right by me right here. So I had to make up for it this time. I reached out and touched her and I pulled her to my, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> but again, I, she walked by and all I could do was just look at her. There was Queen Elizabeth. Famous. Can I tell you this? God came near in Jesus, not so you could get his autograph, but that you could get his gift of salvation. See, that's why he came. He came to get near, to be with you. Isn't Christmas, and this is what we're looking forward to today, isn't it? You know why Christmas is great? Because you get to be with the ones that you love, and the ones that love you get to be with you. Isn't that Christmas? It's just a small microcosm of the whole thing, the cosmic thing that God is doing. See, he loves you and wants you to love him back. And so he came at Christmas so that you could be with him. And that is the question this morning, is it not? That is the Christmas question the Bible poses to all of us. And that is namely this. God came to be with us, but are you with him? See, that's the question that all of us need to ask and answer this morning. And we can't really properly do that unless we know the biblical meaning and significance of this passage in Matthew chapter 1. And so just briefly this morning, truthfully, three important truths that I want you to be able to grasp to understand the concept of God with us. Number one, Jesus is God. And he says this, emphasize this, God with us. See, there are two parallel statements. Do you see them? Look at the Bible for a second. Verses 21 and 23. It says this, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then the verse 23 says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus in this verse, Emmanuel. Those words are interchangeable. You know why? Because Jesus is God. Christmas means the transcendent has become imminent, and that's primary. And can I say boldly this morning, everything else in the Christmas story is secondary compared to this truth, Jesus is God. Nothing about Christmas will make sense if you do not see this reality. In the Bible, and I can't even have time this morning to tell you, the Bible in so many ways wants us to know this very fact is foundational for our lives is Jesus is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John 1, 14 says that, and he became flesh and tabernacle among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of God. So that's what the Bible says. He came. Another way that God's, the Bible says that Jesus is God is the fact that he forgave sins. The paralytic man comes and before he heals him, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Now we all know, right? That you only forgive the sins of the people who commit them against you. But that wasn't true for Jesus. Imagine this morning, and this happened you know, my boys were growing up and as boys do, they got in a little tussle one time. And Lance hit Will. I remember that. And so I, did, I went up to them and I said to them this. I said, Lance, I forgive you for hitting Will. No, I didn't say that. What did I tell Lance? I said, Lance, you need to ask Will to forgive you. Why? Because Will's the one he hit, not me. But Jesus doesn't do that. You know what Jesus says? 
I forgive you for doing that. Even though you didn't think you think you did it just against that person. No, I forgive you. Why? Because here's what Jesus assumes that every sin that you commit is against him. And in order for him to assume that, you know what he has to assume? He has to assume this that he is God. Only God forgives sins. See, that's not all. The Bible also goes about it this way, that Jesus accepted the worship of all kinds of people. Angels, people, Thomas, the day that Jesus, I mean, a few days after Jesus rose and appeared to Thomas. Here's what Thomas says about Jesus. My Lord and my, my God. See, he accepted. See, he didn't just claim to be God himself. His followers believed that he was God. Now, that is crucial. Let me park here just for a second. In Eastern religions, people by and large are what they call pantheists. Pantheists believe that God, there's a consciousness, or God is some sort of force. See, they think that he is infinite, but he's not personal. See, that's Eastern religions. Western religions are different than that. And they're not pantheists, they're polytheists, meaning they believe in a lot of gods. But their gods, like Zeus and all the other ones, see, they're not infinite. See, they're personal, but they're not infinite. Just the opposite. And sometimes, if you read the mythology, they come down and they dress up like humans. In fact, in Acts, Paul and Barnabas, the people thought when they did miraculous things that they were Zeus and Hermes. Because that's what they thought gods were. See, Eastern gods, see, they are infinite but not personal. Western gods are personal but not infinite. But Jewish people were completely different than all of them. Because Jewish people were monotheists. They believed in one God, the creator God, that had no beginning, that God. See, that's who he is. And now, here's what the Jewish followers of Jesus are saying, that God is both infinite and personal. Nobody in their right mind, if you were Jewish, would have ever said that. See, if you know religions of the world, you'll know this, that great people come into the world and they begin to call themselves great teachers. And here's what they say. You, let me tell you, follow my teachings and you'll know how to live and someday you'll be able to reach God. Jesus comes into the world and doesn't say any of that. He just says this, I am God. I'm not just a great teacher pointing to him. I am God. And so he says in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, if you are Jewish, nobody in their right mind as a monotheist would ever have believed for a second that any human being claiming to be God was true. They would never have believed that. But they did. Imagine the people who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, wherever he went, they went, they lived with him day and night for three years, and yet they still believed that he was God. Now, let me tell you how unbelievable that is. What if I claimed this morning to be God? I claimed to be this morning. How long would it take you to disprove that? You would go to my family, and it would take less than three minutes. And they would tell you, my dad's a nice guy, but, and then the whole story would start going. But this, and he did this, and he said that, you know. They would tell you, it wouldn't take very long, right? In fact, you would know this. You live with anybody, you're around them for a very long period of time. You know exactly who they are and what they're all about. And you have to say, nice, but not God. But the people who hung around Jesus, listen, 
Not for a day or a week, for three years, who were monotheists. You know what they said? Their conclusion was this. He is who he says he is. He's God. The last people in the world you would have thought to ever believe that. And let me tell you this. Not only did they think it and believe it, listen, it was so true to them that they died for it. They gave their lives for it. You know why? Because it's true. All the other claims of Christmas make absolutely no sense whatsoever unless you come to this first truth and its reality. And it's part of Christmas. Jesus is God. But secondly, second point, Jesus is human. And they called his name Emmanuel, but his other, and they called his name Jesus, Yeshua. It was his human name, and as great as that name is, it was very, very, very common in Jesus' day. It wasn't like Jesus was the only one in that name. It was very popular because everybody was looking for deliverance from the Romans. Joshua, which is the name that Jesus had, the Old Testament English equivalent, was the one who led them into the promised land, the one that defeated all the battles and all the armies they faced. Everybody wanted their son to be the new Joshua who would come in and defeat the Romans. So a lot of people had that name. It was very common. It was a very common human name because that's who he was. Jesus was God and Jesus was a man. You see, in the Old Testament, every time God came near, every time God appeared in the Old Testament, it was absolutely terrifying. Terrifying. God appears to Job in a whirlwind. We might today call it a tornado. When I was 12 years old, we lived in Robinson, Illinois. And I was out on the back porch. I've told this illustration before. And we were doing ice cream for a block party. And I was the old kind of ice cream maker. I was sitting on it. And my sister was by a chair churning it like this in the ice and making the ice cream and stuff like that. And that was our job, bringing it to the block party. It got really bad weather. It turned black, and then it rained, rained hard. And then almost magically, it stopped. And then all of a sudden, it hailed for like one minute and stopped. And by then, we weren't even cranking anymore because it was so weird. And then we saw it come over an F2 tornado right over the top at the end of the block. Uh, at Laura Lee was my neighbor, and came right over, straight down. And our house sat right here, straight like it was coming straight for our house. And literally, like it was a car, right at our house, turned and went down the street. My mom was in the house. We had a 16-foot boat in our backyard from neighbors three blocks away. We had lawn chairs going right by the window. My mom saw them all shoot by. And when she turned and stopped and turned away and yelled if we were okay... A big, huge two-by-four came right through the wall on the phone where she was standing. Listen, I, I know what tornadoes. We had $10,000 worth of lumber in our front yard from other people's homes. I know what tornadoes look like. I know what they sound like. See, when you saw God and you experienced his presence... For Job, it was like a tornado. For Abraham, it was a smoking furnace that was so hot that consumed all the animals when he walked through it. Moses saw God and he appeared to him as a pillar of fire and it lit up the night. 
In fact, at one point, Moses was said, God said to Moses that I'm going to show you my glory, but I'm only going to show you my hinder parts, King James, as I walk by you. Because here's what he says. Moses, you can't see my face and live. See, up until Jesus, up until Christmas, to get back into God's presence, to get near to him, it was terrifying. You know why? Because it's one thing to experience God's presence from a distance. But it's quite another thing to experience God up close. And that's why we marvel at Christmas. And John 1 says, And he took on flesh and tabernacled among us. Did you hear it? He dwelt with us. You know what that means? It means this, that in Jesus Christ... You can get close to God. You can. You can know him personally without all the terror, without all the fear. He doesn't come, hear me, he doesn't come with a pillar of fire or a smoking furnace. He doesn't come as a tornado. You know as he comes this time? He comes as a baby. God's greatest theophany, God's greatest appearance climaxes in a little vulnerable, weak baby that is helpless. Why? Why in the world, Pastor Walker, would God come as a baby? Well, that leads us to our last point. God, Jesus is God. Jesus is human. So that, three, Jesus could be God with us. Let me be done with these two last points. What does it mean and what it doesn't mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. And I want you to know, if you ask Jesus into your life, he's come into the world, but maybe he hasn't come into your world yet. See, you know about Jesus. You've got his autograph. (laughs) But you don't really know him personally. And if he comes into your life, and he's the Emmanuel in your life, I want to tell you just two things and we'll be done. Here's what they are. Number one, what does that not mean? And that's really crucial. It does not mean that he will solve all of your problems. I know a lot of people come to church and they want to get a little religion. And they come and they're interested in hearing about Jesus because they think if they get a bit more righteous, they get a little bit more religious and maybe put God a little bit more into the equation, maybe their life will go a little smoother and he'll make things a little bit better. I surveyed all the people in the Bible who God directly himself said this to them, I will be with you. In Genesis, God said it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they fought battles. Their wives were abducted. Foreign kings tried to rule their lives and take them over. They threatened life-threatening situations, but God was with them. Joseph, the Bible says, was sold by his brothers into slavery He became a slave in Potiphar, the Egyptian's house. He was accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He was put in prison for two years for it. And it wasn't until 13 years later that he was elevated to second in line to Pharaoh himself. And all the while, the Bible says in Genesis 37, I will be with you. The Lord was with him. But it included all those things. Gideon, or Joshua, I should say, as, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. So your whole life is going to be one long battle fighting every foe in the land of Canaan. Gideon, hiding out in a wine press because he had been so invaded by foreigners and they didn't even know that they could have food without it being stolen. 
God appears to him and says, I am with you, mighty man of valor. The prophets say nothing less. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not, I am with you. Even though the enemy had come in and run them out and they were in exile and had depleted and destroyed the land, here's what God says, I'm with you. Isaiah 43, verse 1, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the flames, I will be with you. Daniel, I'll be with you, but it means in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll be with you, but it means the fiery furnace. Paul, shipwrecked, flogged, beaten, stoned, left for dead. I will be with you is the promise and acts over and over that's given to him. Do you understand? By the time we get to the story of Christmas... And Luke records to us in chapter 1, verse 28, that the angel comes to Mary and says these words. Imagine knowing the Bible, and this is what I just told you. Imagine what she's thinking. It's the, the angel says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. For me, I would go, uh-oh. The Lord is with me. Whoop, this is going to be tough. You know why? Because when God is with you, it doesn't mean he solves all your problems. Let me say it this way. The presence of God does not mean the absence of problems. People think that having God in your life and he being with you and you with him, everything is now going to be easy and smooth and my life is going to be everything I ever thought it was. In Hebrews 11, it says this about people God was with. God was with them and they conquered kingdoms. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the, the, the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. And then verse 36 says this, and then there were others. Others who God was with. And this is what it says of them. And they suffered chains Imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. You know why? Because when God is with you, he can deliver you from anything, but he doesn't always. See, if Jesus with you, let me modernize it, can I, for a moment? If Jesus is with you and you have him in your life and he's with you and you're with him, it does not mean that there won't be financial hardships. It won't mean that. You know in this economy it's already true. It won't mean that there won't be relational difficulties, that there won't be any bumps or any hurdles in your marriage. It won't mean that you won't have health problems. It won't mean that you won't get the phone call. It won't mean that you won't get the diagnosis that you always dreaded. It doesn't mean that your loved ones won't die. It doesn't mean that your job will always be secure. And it doesn't mean that your children will always obey. God with us. See, that doesn't mean that his presence will always allow to keep bad things from happening to you. But it means this, that it will, he will always be there with you when those bad things happen. Let me say it to you this way. If God is with you, you never have to face anything in 2023 alone. Never. You name it. Never alone. Never by yourself. You're a single mom. You're not alone. 
raising kids by yourself and you don't know, working two jobs, how you're ever going to make it, God is with you. Divorce, where am I going to go from here? I don't even have a house. God is with you. A job when you need it, God is with you. Raising your children and most of all, eternity and where you will spend it, God is with you. So what doesn't it mean? It doesn't mean that God will solve all your problems. What does it mean? Hear me. He will solve your biggest problem. You shall call his name Yahshua, for he will save his people from their sins. You may not know it this morning, but you know your biggest problem is Christmas is not whether your marriage is going to make it as important as that is or what kind of diagnosis and health problems will end up being your future. You know what your biggest problem is? All of us? Sin. Sin. Jesus became a baby. He became human. Why? So he could know our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, yes. Our concerns, our temptations, our pains, our sorrow, yes. But most of all, so that he could come and pay the penalty for our sins. He is a savior, That's why he came. Because what you need most is not a doctor, not an economist, not a lawyer. You need a savior. And Jesus is the only one. He's the only one. See, God came to be with us so that we could be with him. And that's the most important thing in all the universe. Jesus, the son of God, became the son of man so that he could save us from our sins. But could you notice this, and I'll be done? It says this, he came to save his people. Doesn't it say that? He came to save his people from their sins. But it didn't say, it didn't say God with us all. It said God with us. So I guess the question is, are you one of the us? Because of those are the people he came to save, the us. You know who they are? They're people who know they are sinners. God with us because he came to save sinners from their sin. And throughout Matthew's gospel, read it for yourself. You know who the sinners are? They're people who are shepherds, low in social status and class. They are the magi who were the non-Jewish Gentiles who came from afar that didn't fit in Jewish society. They were the outcasts and the people who were blind and poor and lame, the rejected ones that no one else wanted. See, let me modernize it. See, Jesus saves people and dwells with them and they with him. They're the people who don't have the resume that they think that they need before God. They're the people who think that they are not good enough unlike everybody else. There are people who don't pretend to be strong when they actually know inside they are weak. There are people who know they need to be saved. Are you part of that? I was a lifeguard in high school and college and when I became a camp director. And one of the first things they told you is when you're trying to save someone from drowning... You can't approach them from the front because you know what people do when they're drowning and they're panicking? They can't get out of their mind this. I got to save myself. So they're thrashing and they're beating and they're trying to get keep above the water. So they said, you can't go in the front. You got to swim around back. 
I was a lifeguard. The guy jumped off the dock. He got a cramp. He couldn't make it. He's out in the middle of the lake. So I swim out to him, and he's, it's exactly what they said. He's screaming and, gar- and taking in water. He's fighting like this. He's a big kid. So I go this. Oh, I go. So I swim around the back of him. He goes, he's trying to say, don't leave me. He thought I was leaving him. But I swam around the back to him, and I come up to him. He couldn't see me. And I went around his right shoulder and came around his chest, and I grabbed him, and I pulled, and I pulled him tight. I, it probably hurt. You know why they said this? Because the first thing you do before you can save them, you have to get them to stop trying to save themselves. Stop trying to save themselves. See, you'll never have God with us, God with you. The first thing you got to do, stop trying to save yourself. There's some of you this morning in life's waters, you are thrashing and you are taking in water, and you go under, and you come back up, and you're fighting because you think, see, you think that you can save yourself, and you can be religious, and you can be good enough, and your good works out your way you're bad, and you're hoping that being Baptist, or Lutheran, or Methodist, or Presbyterian, or Catholic, or whatever, see, you hope that that's going to do it, because you did what the church said, and you're still thrashing, because you're still trying to save yourself. You see, you know what you need to have God with you? Ready? Nothing. Nothing. The old hymn writer said this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. See, there's a lot of people in our world who don't have it because they have something. And they think they have to bring something to God. Their religiosity, their good works, their kindness, and all, they think they have to bring something when all he is looking for is nothing. Nothing. Can I tell you what Jesus did so that you could be with God? Everything. Everything. And he died on the cross because you could do nothing. He rose again from the grave because you couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it. And see, this morning, God with us is so simple because in order for that to be true, here's what it means. You have to have nothing because he did everything. Can you admit that this morning? Can you humble yourself? Can you bring yourself to the place and say, I realize it's not me, it's not my religion, it's not my church, it's not my goodness. It's Jesus. He's God. He's human, and he is God with us. And I want to be with him now and for eternity. You can this morning by grace through faith. Put your trust in him. Say, God, I want to be with you, and I know that I need to give my life to Jesus and seek his forgiveness and worship him alone. See, God is with us, but are you with God? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Perhaps you're here this morning and it's your first time, you're a visitor, or perhaps you come all the time on a regular basis. Either way, with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, would there be anyone to say, Pastor Walker, listen, I know God came to be with us. But after hearing your word and what the Bible says, I don't think that I'm with him.
Oh, I know about him. I've got his autograph. (laughs) But I don't have him. And the reason is, Pastor Walker, I've been thrashing. I've been trying to save myself. And this morning, for the first time in my life, I've come to the realization I can't. I can't. I'm not good enough. I pretend I'm strong, but I'm weak. I'm really not. I'm a sinner. That's who I am. I can't bring anything to Jesus that would make a difference. But he has done everything for me. I recognize that. I see that now. Because I know he's God. I know he's man. And I know why he died and rose again. It was for my sin. Oh, Pastor Walker, I want to ask his forgiveness. I want to give my whole life to him, to worship him and live for the one who died for me and was raised on the third day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here this morning and that is the desire and the cry of your heart, would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you in a moment. Just say, Pastor Walker, I need to be with God because I know he came to be with me. Thank you for your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand on my left. Thank you. Anyone else? Balcony, main floor, anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Can I take just one more moment with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Can I just ask you to pause just for a moment? If you raised your hand just a few moments ago, can I tell you this? I know there's a lot of people and it's Christmas and there's plans, but what could be more important than your eternal life? We're going to sing a song in just a moment as we conclude our service. It's about the incarnation, death, resurrection of Jesus. And while that song's playing, would you just do this? I'm going to say, come forward. Meet me here at the front. I'll be here. And you just say, Pastor Walker, simple words. I want to be with God. I know exactly what that means. And I'm going to take someone just briefly, and they'll show you from the scriptures how today not tomorrow, next week, today, that you can know that you're going to be with God and he's going to be with you through Jesus Christ. Oh, it's the greatest Christmas gift you could ever have on Christmas Day. Don't hesitate. Please come. Meet me down front as we sing this song together. Father, you have seen hands, hearts, more importantly, For those who raise their hand, I pray for them. Father, they would swallow their pride or anything else that would keep them from coming to hear what Scripture says about how they can know Jesus and his salvation, his forgiveness, how they can give their life to him, how that they can be with him because he's come to be with them. Oh, Father, give them brokenness and humility. They might walk forward and have you change their lives for eternity. Do it for your glory, O Lord, and yours alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.